Chapter Four of the Pocket Measure by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: Cake Mathematically Considered. Viewed from some standpoints, Mrs. Harvey Bacon, dressed for a trip to secure contributions with which to carry on a church festival for the purpose of paying a church debt, was a curiosity. As she waited in Mrs. Evans's neat little parlor, casting pleased glances about her on the taste everywhere displayed, critical eyes also, for she could tell to the fraction of a dollar the cost of every article, an interested person might have studied her. She was arrayed in the costliest of black silks, carefully made and more carefully trimmed, not fussy by any means, and, indeed, to an unpractised eye, I am not sure but it would have been called very neat and plain. If you have ever heard wise gentlemen discourse on the subject of dress, selecting the individual whom they would like their wives to copy, you are aware that they are apt to select material at four dollars a yard, and lace at seven or eight, and pronounce the toilet very neat and plain." Mrs. Bacon's outer garments matched her dress. Her silk mantle, made in the newest style and trimmed without regard to cost, and her delicate spring hat, with its long plumes and its broad satin ties, were entirely in keeping with each other, and the whole effect was pleasing in the extreme, if viewed by a person who had no occasion to think of dollars and cents in the same connection." She gave Mrs. Evans a swift, critical glance as she came down ready for the street, and was satisfied. There was nothing in her appearance to make a discord. The dress, it is true, was not so rich, nor the sack and hat so costly as her own, but they were rich enough to make a very respectable appearance, and were in perfect taste. On the whole, Mrs. Bacon was pleased. "'I hardly know where to call first she remarked, as they carefully held their skirts from contact with the spring mud, and crossed the street, preparatory to going down Green Avenue. I suppose it is not worth while to make any stops on this street. Scarcely a person living here is able to contribute anything if they felt ever so much disposed. My dear Mrs. Evans, how came you to locate on this street? The people will be so uncongenial, I am afraid, so unlike what you must have been accustomed to." don't you find it very lonely? Mrs. Evans, with pink cheeks, explained that she had done very well during the short time that she had lived there, and met some rather pleasant people. She ignored entirely the question as to the reason for her choice of residence, because she actually had not the moral courage to explain that the lower rents had been the attraction to the street. "'I am so sorry you live up so far,' explained her companion, I told Mr. Bacon I couldn't think what your husband meant by isolating you so from us all. Why, nearly all our set live down at the lower end of Green Avenue. Such a walk! And, during the calling hours of the day, there is never a car along at the right time. I had to wait twenty minutes for one today. I hope you haven't taken the house for a year, as I am almost sure you will want to get further down before the season is over." In almost trembling haste, Mrs. Evans assured her that they had leased the house for a year. The bare thought of incurring the expense of another removal was appalling to her. Then she made haste to change the subject. "'Mrs. Bacon, have you met Mrs. Spafford? 
They are quite recently moved here, I believe, and live nearly two blocks above us. Wouldn't it be well for us to call there before going to the avenue? Why, would you call there, do you think? questioned Mrs. Bacon, stopping near the corner irresolutely. I have heard of them, and I am told that they are very poor indeed, not even the necessities of life. Sad, isn't it? Who was it told me about them? Oh, I know, your cousin, Miss West, was telling me last week. We were walking downtown together, and we happened to meet Mrs. Spafford, and I was remarking upon what a fine walk she had, quite as though she belonged to the cultured portion of society. I understood Miss West that she had known her as a girl, and that she was quite a superior person. What a pity it is that she married so badly! Do you really think it is worth while to take up our time in calling there? Why, explained Mrs. Evans, dismay as well as genuine interest in her tones, has she married badly? I did not know it. Is her husband dissipated? And a vision of the bright face that had beamed on her so hopefully and cheerily in the market, overclouded with bitter sorrow, came upon her, calling forth sympathy. Oh, dear, no, I didn't mean in that sense. He is a very estimable person, I believe. At least I have heard so, but I really don't know much about him. But he is only a clerk, I mean. She hastened to explain, catching a sight of the crimson cheeks of the wife of the clerk beside her. He is a very young clerk indeed, has a subordinate position and a meager salary, not a suitable one to marry on, you know. And really, from what your cousin said, I shouldn't be surprised if we should be called on to help them before long. It is such a pity that people will foolishly throw themselves right into the responsibilities of life. Miss West said she never felt so sorry for any person in her life as she did when she met Mrs. Spafford one day in the market, struggling to buy something for dinner. She said she had to twist and turn in order to get anything, and that it was really pitiable to see her, for she had been used to better things. Jenny talks at random sometimes, responded Mrs. Evans, speaking quickly, and feeling ashamed that her cousin had been guilty of talking over the affairs of one whom she called her friend to a comparative stranger like Mrs. Bacon. What might she not have told that worthy lady about their own affairs, hers and Dane's? Well, said Mrs. Bacon, still irresolute, taking slow steps forward, perhaps it would be as well to call on her. People like to be counted in, even when they can't help any. And, as you say, she may feel hurt if we pass her by. Had Mrs. Evans said that? She could not remember anything of the sort. Mrs. Spafford had not impressed her as a woman who would feel hurt over the fancied slights of even Mrs. Bacon. "'What a perfectly comical little house!' was the elder lady's exclamation as they passed around the neat grass plat that led to Mrs. Spafford's door. "'It really doesn't look as though there were room for even two children to play at housekeeping. Poor thing! What a doleful time she must have away up here, if she really has any culture. The poor thing looked very unlike an object of pity. She answered her own bell, appearing at the door in a neat spring suit of delicate design and careful finish, and ushered them into her bit of a parlor, with evident pleasure at the sight of their faces. I was wondering only today, she said, with a bright look bestowed upon Mrs. Evans, 
whether your sense of hospitality would not lead you soon to call on me. Jenny promised to bring you, I remember. She is not with you now? While Mrs. Evans explained, the third lady regarded their hostess with wondering eyes. Are you intimately acquainted with Miss West? She asked as soon as opportunity afforded. Oh, yes, we were intimate in school, after the manner of schoolgirls, you know. We were in the same classes, and occasionally appeared as rivals in some of the examinations. I have seen but little of her since. I commenced teaching as soon as I graduated, and Jenny commenced party-going, and, both the occupations proving absorbing, we saw each other rarely. A poor school, ma'am, who married for a home, was Mrs. Bacon's mental comment. Poor thing, what a dismal little home she has secured, though I must say she has done wonders in the way of disposing of her few things. What a curious parlor ornament, a jewel case, I wonder if she has any jewels to put in it. The three ladies talked pleasantly together for a little, Mrs. Bacon acknowledging to herself that the unfortunate woman was certainly a person of a good deal of culture, and finally, since she was proving herself so intelligent, she determined to broach the subject of the church festival. Such persons often help a great deal by their executive ability and their skill in setting tables and the like, she told herself before she launched forth but Mrs. Spafford proved not to be a person easy to explain things to. She developed into an animated interrogation point, asking questions right and left as to what had been done in the past, what was hoped for in the future, what had been the success of others in the same line, and a dozen other embarrassing questions. "'What is the debt?' she inquired abruptly, at the close of a long sentence from Mrs. Bacon about sacrificing for the good of the cause. What is the amount? Why, said Mrs. Bacon, with an embarrassed little laugh, it is only a hundred dollars all told, but you would be surprised to know how long it has hung on us. You see, the church is small, and by no means wealthy. In fact, I think there are very few persons in it who can really be said to be wealthy. Mr. Bacon and I are from the Clark Place Church, and you may imagine it is a change to us, but we thought it our duty to cast in our lot here and help along what we could, though we have never taken our letters from the Clark Place Church, and, of course, have to help there, and can't do so much here, but we cheerfully give our mites. And she brushed an imaginary particle of dust complacently from the rich silk, and looked the picture of serene benevolence, waiting for Mrs. Spafford to state her ability or inability to furnish cake. "'How much money do you hope to realize from this festival?' was the next question. "'Well, of course, we cannot estimate much about that. We have a very fair attendance generally, and sometimes make as much as—well, I've known us to clear forty dollars in an evening. But then, we are not apt to do as well as that. Ice cream is so expensive, you know— and but little of the cream is donated. That is almost as scarce an article as money in this region. I should say if we cleared thirty-five dollars, we are doing very well. Shouldn't you think so, Mrs. Evans? And Mrs. Evans, who had thought nothing about it in any way, save to feel with dismay that she must bear her share of the expense, whether she felt able or not, 
from force of habit sweetly acquiesced in this statement. Thirty-five dollars net? was the next clear-cut question. I mean exclusive of all expenses, cake, time, and the wear and tear, if you can estimate that. Mrs. Bacon arched her eyebrows in astonishment. Why, dear me, she said at last, we don't estimate the price of cake, of course, that is a free-will offering, so indeed are our time and strength, we don't expect to be paid for those. I presume not, spoken with dancing eyes, but as a business matter you expect to estimate them and discover how much you have actually made. Of course it takes money to make cake, and of course if I can afford to make cake, I can afford to give the money outright that it would cost to make it. And if, in addition to that, I could do something with my time, by which I could increase the amount, it behooves me, as a sensitive business woman, to discover how much net profit there is in the enterprise. To Mrs. Bacon this was certainly a new way of presenting the entire subject. So, indeed, it was to Mrs. Evans. She looked her astonishment, mingled with genuine interest in the matter, and was betrayed into inquiring further. "'My dear Mrs. Spafford, don't you think there are some people who, having little or no money to give, can, by making cake and such things, help along?' "'Cake and such things are money,' replied Mrs. Spafford with a smile. "'Therein lies the difficulty, in my opinion.' People who unhesitatingly tell you they have no money to give will unhesitatingly agree to furnish a rich cake or an unlimited number of sandwiches without seeming to have an idea that they have thereby furnished money. I perceive that you belong to the class of people who do not approve of social gatherings connected with the church. Of course we were not aware of that, or we should not have intruded." Mrs. Bacon's voice reminded one just a little of a winter day. Her hostess turned toward her brightly. Oh, not at all. On the contrary, I am one who thinks the church is not social enough. I would have a great many more gatherings in the name of the church and for the cause of Christ than there are now. But I thought you were talking about paying a church debt and the quickest and easiest way of doing it. But suppose you can combine the two objects? Is there any harm in that? I beg pardon, but I don't believe they combine well. People never succeed in being very social who have come together for the purpose of making money, and the people who are obliged to feel that they have contributed to the cause only by eating some of the cake and cream and paying a fair price for the same seem never to be able to look with comfortable consciences on the affair, and it really seems to me a waste of effort. I have often helped in these enterprises, and we almost invariably fell short of the amount we had hoped to make, and offended one or two persons, and tired ourselves out, and went home disheartened. This was so entirely Mrs. Evans's experience that she could not help bestowing a smile of approval on the bright-faced lady, while Mrs. Bacon, still with the air of one who had been defrauded of her position as leading speaker, said, Pray, how would you raise this church debt if you had your way? Well, said Mrs. Spafford, briskly, in the first place I should make an estimate. Wait, let me get pencil and paper. I have been a schoolteacher for so long that I am very fond of actual estimates put in black and white. 
Now, how many cakes, for instance, did you propose to secure? We calculated about twenty, I think, did we not? Was Mrs. Evans's timid appeal to Mrs. Bacon, who chose to maintain a dignified silence. Isn't that a very large number? questioned the mathematician, stopping, her pencil poised in air. Mrs. Bacon was tempted to explain. We are liable to have quite a large attendance, and our young people are apt to try two or three kinds, and it is so unpleasant to run out of cake that we decided to secure as many as that number. Some of the committee always stand willing to buy them, if there are any left. Well, twenty cakes, then, of twenty different people. Oh, dear, no, we haven't more than ten people on whom we can depend in the matter of cake-making. It is by no means a large church, Mrs. Spafford. Very well, then. Ten persons, twenty cakes. Of what sort, Mrs. Bacon? Well, said that lady, growing interested despite her determination not to be, we let each person make what she chooses. We want nice rich cakes, of course, and that is generally understood, so we don't dictate as to the precise kind. Frosted? Why, yes, generally our cakes have been frosted. They look prettier, you know, for a festival. And what price would you set as the valuation of each cake? Then the two ladies looked at each other doubtfully. I haven't the least idea, said Mrs. Evans, who, nevertheless, was deeply interested in the question, being anxious to know whether it would be possible that Dane was right, and cake was an extravagant way of being benevolent. I'm sure I don't know, said Mrs. Bacon, with a little laugh. Who ever heard of estimating the cost of cake? Oh, I've estimated it often, said the mathematician, making neat little figures on her paper. It is very easily calculated. The average expense, you know. Suppose we say half a pound of butter to a cake. That is a fair average, for some of the cake makers will be sure to use more and some less. Butter is forty cents a pound now, so we have twenty cents. Next, we have eggs, and I suppose six to a cake is as low an average as frosted cake will admit of. Or, to be very economical, shall we say four? Eggs are somewhat scarce now, you know. Thirty cents a dozen. A third of a dozen, ten cents. Now the sugar. I am always amazed at the way sugar disappears. It is such insignificant-looking stuff, and costs so little by the pound, that you think it is hardly worth calculating. Yet most housekeepers find that it insists on being calculated. Yes, indeed said Mrs. Evans, with a sympathetic laugh and a bitter memory of her constantly emptying sugar-box. Let me see. Frosting takes a great deal of sugar, and pulverized sugars are expensive. I don't think that allowing ten cents for each cake is too much. In fact, I'm inclined to think it is hardly enough, but we want to make the estimate as low as possible, so I'll put in ten. Now, counting flour and flavoring and milk, do you really believe a fairly good cake can be made for fifty cents? I don't. To this both ladies agreed, and each of them knew so much or so little about money that they felt slightly triumphant. Certainly fifty cents was a very small sum to give for benevolence. Very well. Then, Mrs. Evans, if you make two cakes, you will give one dollar to the cause, counting out entirely your time and strength, 
which, in this age of the world, should certainly be worth something to every woman. Ten other ladies do the same, and the cake is secured. Then come the coffee, and the cream, and the sandwiches, and the pickles, and the fruits, and so forth, and ever so many other, and so forths, besides the dishes that will certainly get broken, and have to be replaced, and the dresses that will be sure to get stained with coffee or something. That is part of the program, you know, to tip something over. And when you have made a conscientious estimate of the whole matter, how much net profit have you? End of chapter 4